Are you ready to know your worth and identity in the body of Christ? Are you ready for kingdom conversations with kingdom people? Welcome to the Recovery to Recovered podcast. I'm your host, Kayla McCall, and I will be guiding you through the word with preaching and teaching and empower you to know who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going from John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1 today. This is the story of the adulterous woman. John chapter 8 and verse 1. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. I don't, oh, she got it. Laura is just that good. I texted her this morning and said, I highly doubt you're going to be able to get the Passion Translation on a uh, system like this, but she was able to do it. So praise God. I got my new Passion Translation from my mama. Come on, somebody. Thank God for mamas. Come on. I tried to pay her for it. She wouldn't accept it. Said I ain't robbing her of her blessing. Come on, somebody. She don't know it. I'm still going to pay her somehow, some way. Praise God. Praise God. Let's get into the word. This just blessed me this week. The Passion Translation is just an incredible translation. It's fairly new. They used a lot of the Greek and the Aramaic, which is probably the language that they were speaking and that it was the language they were speaking in the day, the common language. So let's check this out. Jesus walked up on the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Jesus is at church, y'all. He taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Caught in the act. Not hearsay. Not somebody said so. They had caught her in the act of committing adultery. Then they said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses in the law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Come on, somebody. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger angry they kept insisting that he answer their question so jesus stood up and looked at them and said let uh let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire a sinful desire throw the first stone at her and then he bent over again and wrote more words in the dust upon hearing that her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest. Watch this, with a convicted conscience. Until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, No one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on be free of your life of sin. 
closing with this last verse right here. Then Jesus said, I am the light of the world and those who embrace me will experience life-giving light and will never walk in darkness. Father, over the next couple of moments, I pray that you would help me to teach and preach your word, God. Anoint my lips, my heart, my mind, and spirit, and may it fall on the ears of people today who have a revelation of the grace of God. May the individual who's walked into this room that's never even heard about the grace of God have an encounter with you today, Jesus, because the word says that you became flesh and dwelt among us and you were full of grace and truth. You're the way, the truth, and the life. The individuals within the sound of my voice are on the live stream today. Lord, who don't know you, may they know you by the end of this message. That you are not a mean God, a mad God who is ready to just send everybody and anybody to hell. But you are a gracious God who is full of love, compassion, and mercy. And you have made a way for us all to get back into right standing and in right relationship with you. Lord, help me today. I'm asking for your help. Hide me behind the shadow of your cross, God. May I be anointed to preach the word in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So after last week's service, I could not shake this thing about talking about grace and the grace of God. And I just began to have a deeper hunger for the word of God when it comes to this topic, because this topic is what the gospel is based off of. Amen. It's the grace of God that saves you. So I couldn't shake this. And we are going into this and I'm calling it part two. We're going grace upon grace part two. I don't know how long we will be here. Uh, I I just feel uh, the unction of the Holy Spirit to speak on the grace of God. So we're going to call this grace of God part two or grace, grace upon grace Uh, part two. And I want to recap real quickly for those of you who might have missed last week. We talked about the story of the disciples and how they had went back to fishing. The disciples had went back to that old way of living. They had went back to living the way that they were living before they met Jesus. And what's funny is the scene with these specific disciples, he's meeting them in a time of restoration where he had called them from before. Bear with me. I'm I'm setting the foundation for today. But these men who met, who who he had met on the seashore last week are the men who he had called from that same seashore about three years earlier. So Jesus in his grace is willing to meet them where they are at. He in his grace is willing to meet them in the familiar. Is anybody thankful for a God that will meet you where you're at? Come on, somebody. Is anybody thankful for a God who will meet you when you're familiar and meet you where you are at? So what he does is restore them back 
to what he has called them to do all along. He lets them know that they are forgiven for abandoning him. Let's not forget every single one of the disciples except the apostle John had abandoned Jesus in his moment of trying, in his moment that he was born for. They abandoned him when his destiny came knocking at his door. They all scattered. They all left him and had abandoned him. But Jesus on the seashore meets them and lets them know, I'm still willing and I'm still ready to use you. The question is, are you ready to answer the call? There's one brother in particular who needs restoration through the grace of God in a great way, and that man is Peter. Again, around the fire, Jesus sets the scene, watch this, and takes Peter back to the very scene where he had denied him. Remember, Peter in his denial of Jesus Christ, he's sitting around a fire as they are beginning to execute the judgment on Jesus and they're beginning to whip him and they're beginning to pull out his beard and they're placing a crown of thorns on his head and Jesus is standing around a fire warming himself and denying the Christ three times. He not only denies him, but he curses out a little teenage girl and then Peter goes as far as to say, say, I curse the day that I ever met the man. And some of us in the room think that we have went too far. But Peter, a few days before, had denied the Lord. Yet Jesus is standing here in front of him, restoring him. And that's what I call grace, my friends. That's the scandalous grace of God right there, my friends. And that's the scandalous grace that is available to you and it is available to me. The next time we read about Peter, this grace that he has encountered has turned him into a different man. Come on, somebody. We read over in Acts chapter 2 where Peter grabs a microphone, for lack of better terms, and the grace that he has encountered, he gives about a 10-minute sermonette calling everybody out that he was once scared to claim the name of Jesus. He calls them all out and says, no, I cannot deny what I have touched and what I have heard and what I have seen, and the grace of God is what is carrying him and empowering him him along with the Holy Spirit who brings a revelation of grace, by the way. And it is this new Peter that we see just a couple of chapters later. In Acts 3, he's on the way to the temple to worship God. Come on, somebody. There it is. They're still going to church for all the folks that think we don't need church. Come on. We need church, y'all. We need one another. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves because we are called to get together and watch this, provoke one another to love and good works. It's hard to be provoked by somebody when you're isolated. He faces the same people he had denied Jesus in front of and he testifies to them and said, should I listen to you or should I listen to God? I cannot deny him anymore. I cannot deny what I have touched. I cannot deny what I have seen. That's what grace can do for your church. I talked to you last week and landed my hat mostly on the scripture. The kindness and the goodness of God is what leads unto repentance from Romans chapter 2 verse 4. And I came to echo that sentiment today because we have to get a hold of this. Touch your neighbor and tell them you got to get a hold of this. You've got to get a hold of this. 
Because watch this, I can't just preach it from this pulpit because you are going to come across people that I will never see and people that I will never meet. And you have to have a revelation of grace so that you can give them a revelation of grace. You cannot give what you do not have. If you do not understand grace, you'll never give it to anybody. It's got to be not just preached from this pulpit, but the church need to be screaming this from the rooftops in our community. It's the kindness and the goodness of God that leads men and women unto repentance. It's not me and you beating them across the head with a Bible that they don't understand to get them to repent. Repent meaning to change the way that you think about sin. Come on, somebody. It means getting them to change the way that they think about their lifestyle. The Greek word is metanoia, meaning to change the way that you think. Y'all have heard me say it a million times. Now you've heard me say it a million and one times. You cannot change what you do until you change the way that you think about it. Come on, somebody. That's biblical. That's the Bible. So we talked about the scandalous grace of God. The scandalous grace of God is the system. God works in systems, by the way. See, Jesus in Genesis, it says that the, the, the seed of a thing will be on the inside of a thing, and the seed will always produce after its own kind. So God is a God of systems, and the system that God has created for the world to receive him and to be born again is the scandalous grace of God. That is the system that God has ordained. By the way, he's smarter than you and me. Sometimes I don't understand it. I don't understand the scandalous grace of God. But guess what? I don't have to understand it. I just have to receive the scandalous grace of God. It's scandalous for Jesus to catch this woman in the very act of adultery and push everybody to the side with a few one with one one-liner basically and say, You who is without sin, cast the first stone. And everybody departs and everybody moves out of the way. And here Jesus is standing one-on-one with this adulterous woman who's caught in the very act. And the law says that she should be stoned and she should be killed. But here Jesus is saying, where are your condemners? If no one condemns you, then I don't either, sister. Go and sin no more. That's the system that God has established. And we've really got to get a hold of this and receive it. Come on, you've got to receive this. You've got to receive this. And if people really get a hold of it and receive it, you won't have to worry about them trying to use it as a license to sin or a license to get away with something. But those who have a true encounter with the grace of God will say, wait a minute, this isn't a license for me to get away with something. But this is the goodness and the kindness of God that is able to change my heart, soul, and mind. Come on. This is the grace of God who isn't dead set on sending people to hell. But this is the the grace of God that says he'll make a way when there is no way. Come on, somebody. That's why we can sing the song that he's a way maker. Come on. He's a promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness because he is good. Come on. It's not because he's mad and he's mean and he looks like Father Time in the sky ready to throw lightning bolts at you every time that you make a mistake no we can sing songs like that because he's 
good. We can sing songs like that because he's he always tells the truth. He's not a man that he should lie. Watch this. He's not a man that he should grow weary. So every time you make a mistake, he ain't getting tired on you. He's not getting tired of cleaning up your mess. He's not getting tired of filling you with the more of the Holy Spirit and his word that can get you to live in right. Come on. He's a promise keeper. He's good. Come on. His mercy triumphs over his judgments, what the Bible says. It's because when you're in Christ, it's all under the blood. Come on, somebody. Touch your neighbor and say it's all under the blood. Look over at your other neighbor and say he preached this last week. Then look at your neighbor behind you and say it's because he's trying to get you to learn something. Come on. I said it's all under the blood. Woo! It's under the blood. If you're in Christ, your sin has been thrown as far as the east is from the west and into a sea of forgetfulness. The books that are written in heaven are about your good works so that heaven knows how to respond when you get there and place a crown on your head simply for you to take the crown off and throw it at his feet because he's been too good. He's not a man that he should lie. So what that means is God is not scuba diving in the sea of forgetfulness trying to pick up all of your... God is not trying to dig up all of the mistakes and all of your past. He's not got scuba diving gear on trying to get back into the sea of forgetfulness and bring it back before you and have you standing there in guilt, condemnation, and shame. He's not a man that he should lie. So if it's in the sea of forgetfulness, it's still there. It's going to stay there. As far as the east is from the west. Y'all heard me say this before. Scientists believe that the universe is expanding as far as the east is from the west. It's still going. He threw it and it's still going this way. He threw it to the east and it's still going east. He threw it to the west and it's still going west. That's the type of God that we serve. And we think he's bitter and he's mad and he's ready to rain down judgment on it. No, no, no. It's his kindness and his goodness that leads to repentance. He's kind and he is good. In the Western church, we have preached this mad God who is ready to destroy his creation. He's not mad. He made a way out. The cross of Calvary, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the gospel. It's the kindness and the goodness of God that will get you to change the way that you think. It ain't a license to get away with nothing. It's a license for right living. Jesus. Mm. So grace is the only thing that can produce righteousness. Come on, let me repeat that real quick. I said it's the grace of God that can only produce righteousness. Prove it. Don't worry, I'm about to. Come on, y'all. We're talking about the grace of God this morning. Come on, the grace of God this morning. So in return, we're talking about the goodness and the kindness of God. It's the goodness and the kindness which will bring about regeneration. And without being born again, you can by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So come on. Is there anybody thankful for the grace of God this morning? If you're thankful, just clap your hands 
and make a little noise in this place. Remember to call. Nail it down. Receive the grace of God. Nail it down in your heart. Nail it down in your spirit. That you might have made a mistake yesterday, but it's under the blood. You might have mis- made a mistake last week, but it's still under the blood. You might have made a mistake last year or your entire life up until this moment today. But it's under the blood the moment you say yes to him. We talked about it last week from Ephesians 2. Verse 8, you are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You, so you are saved by grace through faith, not of works. You are not saved by how good of a little boy or a little girl you was this week. Come on, somebody. You are saved by grace through faith. There's a relationship there. I love God. He's just all about relationships. Nothing really ever stands alone. Grace through faith. Come on. It's relationship. Jesus says in John chapter 17 that I, my prayer father is that they would become one with me as you and I are one. One. When a man leaves his father and mother, he shall cling to his wife and become one. We need to become one with grace and truth. Come on. We need to become one with grace and faith. We need to become one and intermingle. So you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Later on in the book of James, he clarifies something and says you aren't saved by works, but faith. But don't get it twisted. Your works and the way you behave make it clear on the encounter that you say that you have had, whether it is authentic or not. Come on, we got to read the whole Bible. We, we, we need to read the whole Bible. We can't cherry pick scriptures. This is one of the problems with grace is that people cherry pick the scripture of grace and we don't read the rest of the scriptures. So James here says, don't get it twisted, y'all. That's the hood version. That's the hood version. He says, don't get it twisted. The way that you behave will make it clear about the encounter that you say that you have had. First John goes on to say, anyone who has been born again cannot go on continuing in sin. Not that you won't make a mistake, but that you can't live a lifestyle of the same mistake over and over again. What are you saying, Pastor? The same grace that saves you is the same grace that keeps you. Oh, come on, somebody. I said the same grace that saved you. It's that same grace that when you lifted your hands, And you begin to cry and say, God, I give you my life. I'm done living the way that I was living. That same grace that you felt that day is the same grace that that God will give you when you need to cut off the wrong relationship that you're in. Come on. It is the same grace that God will give you when you're an addict and you're sitting there with the dope in your hand and you have an appointment with either flushing it or putting it in your arm. Come on, somebody. It is the same grace of God that when that thing comes across your face, newsfeed that get your mind wondering and you going somewhere on the internet you're not supposed to be it's the same grace that saved you it's the same grace that'll say I got to shut this thing off come on oh I love I love this come on we got to teach the whole bible y'all the whole bible because the grace that saved you is the same grace that keeps you. That grace that flooded your heart and mind when tears began to flow is the same grace that will keep you from making the same mistake over and over again. How does it do that? Because when you have a real revelation of the grace of God, that God saved you from your sin and he saved you from your junk, the last thing you want to do is break his heart. 
I, I have heard this, this teaching said, you know, the Holy Spirit is a representation of the dove. When Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water and the dove rests on him. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came on him without measure. What if we would live our life like we never wanted the dove to leave? Doves are skittish, by the way. But what if, what if we lived our life in such a grace that we said, oh, I, I want to live like the dove will never leave. I don't want that dove to leave. Come on, church, the grace of God, the grace of God. So those scripture that I, scriptures that I mentioned are backing up what I'm saying about the fact of the grace of God. It produces change in your heart, mind and spirit, which in return produces change in what you do. So God's system of preaching scandalous grace and those who get a hold of it will not trample on it, but embrace it. And if you ever embrace the grace of God, you will be forever changed. Okay, pastor, show me how this works. No problem. I'm about to get to my scripture. That was all free. Our text we're pulling from today and talking about the grace of God is actually one of the most debated scriptures that we have in our Bible today. Some of the early manuscripts have this section of the text taken out. And in studying this, I learned that one of the early church fathers, Augustine, says that many translators and copyists removed this who doubted Jesus could show grace like this after she was caught in the very act. When I began studying this, I began to trip out. I'm like, you know, uh, the world is always trying to find and poke holes in the scripture of God. And I had Googled some of this stuff. And, and I began to realize that some of the older Greek manuscripts didn't have this in there. And some of them even had this at the end of the book of John. But I began digging and doing a little more research. Come on, somebody. You got to dig sometimes. You got to search. You got to find stuff. Because the world is always looking for a way to poke holes in this gospel. They're always looking for a way to poke holes in these scriptures. But can I tell you today, these scriptures are ancient and they have been withstood the test of time. Come on, somebody. There ain't a hole in them. There's not a contradiction in them. When you read it with the Holy Ghost, it all flows together. Why? Because he's the one that wrote it but this is one of the most debated sections of scripture and augustine said it was so scandalous that some of the copyists this is dangerous here some of the that's why we got it in here because somebody did some research and did some digging and said no no this is inspired by the holy ghost and got it got it in there but some of the copyists and some of the translators tried to keep this out why because it's so scandalous so let's talk about this real quick. First thing I want to talk about real quick is the fact that Jesus is in the temple and preaching the word. Come on. Jesus was at church, y'all. Jesus was at church. If Jesus went to church, we need to go to church. Amen. Amen. This isn't to condemn anybody. We need to be in church. If you on the live stream, y'all are all good. I'm not condemning you. Just come next week. We, we, just, we need each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. Come on. My wife needs me. I just wanted to remind you. I just wanted to remind her because I love her so much. Guess what, y'all? I need her. 
My goodness, I would be lost without my wife. Come on, we need each other, y'all. We can't do this without one another because we are a body. My arm can't go nowhere else that my body doesn't go. It's supposed to be attached. Come on, somebody. But Jesus was at church. He's in the house of God, and he is teaching and preaching the word of God. And here comes the Pharisees dragging this woman onto the scene, probably dragging her by her hair as she is kicking and screaming, knowing what is coming her way. She's Jewish. She understands the law. She understands what is written in Leviticus 20, verse 10, that any persons caught in adultery are to be stoned. Jesus hasn't went to the cross yet, ushering in the new covenant. And they bring her into the front of the temple and put her mess out there on Front Street, calling for judgment to be rained down on her. And watch this, by the way, their judgment would have been accurate and true because they're still under the law and this would not have been permissible. But how many of you know Jesus came to change some things? Come on, come on. Jesus came to change his name. Mama, come here real quick. My mom is this beautiful Puerto Rican Cuban woman with this beautiful black hair of hers. I was going to tell them how old you are, but I didn't know if you'd get mad at me. But she's 60-something years old. She looked 40. Praise God. It's what the kingdom will do for you. Yeah, mama. But my mom has this long, black, curly hair today. I didn't know if it was going to be straight or curly. She changed it up on me. But I, I, just, I just picture this woman, and maybe it's because it's the picture in my Passion Translation Bible. But, but they, they dragged this woman in. And I just picture her having long, dark hair because that's what the Jewish people had. And they put her, imagine this, they've dragged her and said, she is guilty before you, caught in the very act. What are you going to do, Jesus? What you going to do now, Jesus? We got you now. We've got you now. The law said, the word says, that she is to be stoned. If you could take a seat, Mom. I just wanted them to paint this picture. Because if she's crying and screaming, kneeling down on the ground probably, weeping, wondering if she's going to make it out alive. Wondering if she's going to make it out alive. Come to the scene with me real quick. Come to the scene. She's standing in the middle of the church. Picture her in the altar or in the front here. And all of us are there. And the Pharisees have put her on blast and said, we've caught her in the very act. You know what? I noticed a couple of things about this and what the Pharisees did and where they messed up. And I might lose my mind here in a second. You, you want to know the first thing where the Pharisees messed up at? They brought her to church. 
The Pharisees messed up when they brought her to church. Come on. The Pharisees messed up when they brought her in front of Jesus. The Pharisees messed up when they brought her in front of grace and in front of truth. Because, come on, there's nothing more that frustrates a pastor when you hear somebody say, I can't come to church. My life is jacked up. I'm messed up. My thoughts are bad. I'm addicted on drugs. I'm sleeping around. I'm mixed up in this. I'm mixed up in that. But can I tell you, if you could just get to church, if you could just get to the house of God. God is getting ready to do something in your life. God can take your scandal and turn it into scandalous grace. He can renew your mind and renew your heart and renew your spirit. They messed up. The Pharisees messed up. The religious folks messed up. They brought her to Jesus. They brought her to the very thing that could change her life forever. Man, that's good preaching. You ain't too jacked up to come to church. Come on, somebody. I don't care what you did last night. Get to church. I don't care what you put in your body. Get to church because it's the church. It's the bride and the body of Christ that has been anointed and empowered to lay hands on the sick and then recovered. Maybe you're sick in your mind. Maybe you're sick in your spirit. But it's the church of Jesus Christ. It's the body of Jesus Christ. Christ ain't his last name, by the way, y'all. Christ means anointed. And we are the little anointed ones who are left in the earth. Come on. So you've just got to get to church because church is where you can have your encounter. Church is where he's at. I'm not saying he's limited to church. Hear me out on that. Don't take what I'm saying and twist it up. I can hear some of you now. He said church is the only place Jesus is. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is grace and truth should be in the room when you walk in the door. Grace and truth. We got to be a people full of grace and full of truth. Y'all heard me talk about this balanced preaching. When I opened this last week, y'all know it. I'm a holiness preacher. I'm a righteousness preacher. And you want to know the why? One of the reasons why I'm a holiness and righteousness preacher is because there's too many preachers out there that's not telling you that that's what you are. And if that's what you are, then that's what you can be. But, but we have to be balanced. We have to talk about holiness and righteousness, but we have to talk about the scandalous grace of God that can get you to stop doing what you did last night. They brought her to church so she could have an encounter that changed her forever. Jesus said healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And we got church country clubs out here. Help me, Holy Ghost. I'm on a live stream right now. I need to be careful. I need to, Church ain't no country club, y'all. Church ain't no country club, y'all, where you only get in if you dress a certain way and talk a certain way and do a certain thing. No, church is for everybody. Come on. Church is for the individual who's been serving God for 30 years to get provoked to love and good works and who ain't got blatant sin in their life. But church is also for the individual that came in with a hangover because their life is messed up and they're drinking their life away or they're drugging their life away because here is where they can get set free. Thank you, Lord. He said, I came for the sick. Healthy people don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I haven't come for the righteous. They're okay. You do understand that's what he's saying, right? 
He's not saying that you got to be all bad. He said, the right, if you're righteous, if you're in right standing with God, you're good. But I came to redeem that which is lost. Stop thinking you've got to have it all together to come to church. Church is where you're going to figure it out. Come on, somebody. Church is where you can get filled with the Holy Ghost. Here is where you will get the power to overcome any sin or any obstacle that's in your life. Watch this, number two. I noticed that they only brought part of the equation to the table. I noticed that they only brought part of the equation to the table. The Bible says in Leviticus 20 verse 10 that both parties who were caught in adultery are to be stoned. Where's the brother at? Help me, Holy Ghost. You see, the problem with people who are caught up in religion is that they usually only bring half of the problem to the equation. By the way, when I say religion, I'm talking about folks like the Pharisees that only know how to follow the rules but had no relationship with the Father. They studied the Scriptures but couldn't get a hold of the Father's main characteristics, which are love, compassion, mercy, and grace, forgiveness. The Bible says he's slow to anger. Come on, somebody. They didn't get all these things. And I know a lot of people like this today. They can quote you scripture upon scripture. They'll speak at Bible conferences, but can't get a hold of a simple concept like love your neighbor. Pharisee spirit is still alive and well today, church. If you can quote scripture, but you can't love the person sitting next to you in your seat, I don't want to hear the scripture that you know. want to know why because it's hit here but it ain't made it down to here but this is the problem with folks caught up in religion they know how to give the hard truth but don't understand scandalous grace the bible says that he is watch this truth and grace john 1 14 the word the logos god became flesh and dwelt among us and was full of grace and truth jesus did not mind to look at religious folks and tell them that you swallow a gnat and spit out a camel, you're full of dead men's bones. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead men's bones. But you're whitewashed on the outside. You've got, you've got the outside of the cup and dish looking all good, but on the inside you are filthy. But then he also, with the woman caught in the act of adultery, says, they don't condemn you and neither do I. He was full of hard truth but scandalous grace. We got to be balanced. Y'all hear me say this all the time. Proverbs says an unbalanced life is an abomination to God. So guess what? Unbalanced preaching is an abomination to God. An unbalanced church is an abomination to God. An unbalanced marriage is an abomination. Unbalance is an abomination. He hates it. Abomination means he hates it. He does not like it. So if I'm all the time hitting you across the head with the Bible and holiness and, and this and that, but I never talk about the grace of God, I'm in trouble, Jack. You're in trouble if you only talk about, uh, about works, but you never talk about faith and grace. Or if you only talk about, help me, Holy Ghost, here we go. If you're only talking about grace, but you don't talk about the Holy Ghost and works and righteousness. and the, Jack, John says, here we go, hood version again. Don't get it twisted. Those who act righteously are righteous. It's not hard. We complicate things. Just read it and do what it says. We, we complicate things. But they know the hard truth, but they, 
They, they don't know how to give grace. This is why balanced preaching is so important. Because Jesus is the word and Jesus is grace and truth. So if I can't look you in the eye in love and tell you, if you don't give your life to Jesus and encounter this grace that will set you free, you're going to end up in hell and separated from God for an eternity. By the way, that's still love, y'all. The, the American church don't want to hear that no more. We don't want to hear that no more. There is, there is a chance if you don't encounter this grace and let this grace change your life that you will end up in hell and separated from God for an eternity. Let me tell you something right now, Church of Jesus Christ and the saints of God, hell is still real and hell is still hot and it is a, it is a horrific place. Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and souls will be there and they are begging to get out of there. But if I can only preach that, but I can't look you in the eye while you're caught in the very act of adultery. My Christianity is messed up. If I can't love you in the middle of your addiction, if I can't love you and not condemn you in the middle of your bad relationship, if I can't love you in the middle of all your mistakes, I am missing the gospel. We must be balanced. They left out half of the equation. Bear with me, I'm almost done. She's called in the very act and brought before him. And they quote the law of Moses here. And they're trying to hem him up. And Jesus here begins to write in the dirt. There are a few theories. Excuse me. There are a few theories about what Jesus was actually writing in the dirt, but no one really knows. I remember when I read this story when I was first at Teen Challenge, and I'm a, a y'all bear with me and, and, and remember that you was once a baby Christian too. But I'm newly born again, and I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, oh, I bet Jesus was tripping right there. He's writing in the dirt, probably wondering and writing to God. Hey, they they got us on this one. What are we gonna do right now? What, what are we going to do, Lord, Father? Because uh, Leviticus 20, they, they quoting it. They're yelling it at me. I mean, wh what are we doing here? That's not what Jesus was doing. That, that, that's not what Jesus was doing. Now that I've matured in Christ, I understand that that's definitely not what was happening. Most believe he was writing something that was so convicting in the dirt that every one of them dropped their stones that was in the shape of a cross. They dropped their stones. One, each one of them leaving one by one by one. They've messed up here by coming to the Lord with the scriptures that he wrote. This is not the first time that God wrote with his finger either. He wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger. Watch this. This is also not the first time that God gets to playing around with dust and it becomes a living thing because he's playing in the dust yet again. And this woman is fixing to have an encounter of the born again experience because when she experiences the grace of God, he makes a statement to her and says, go and sin no more. That can't happen without a born again experience, folks. God got to playing with dust yet again and created a new creation in the woman who was caught in adultery. There's some revelation for you today if you came for it. 
Jesus. Because it's him riding in the dust that removes her accusers and in return gives her the opportunity to encounter grace face to face. Which in return, watch this, when you encounter grace face to face, it creates an atmosphere that is conducive for the born again experience. And without being born again, you can know by, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't answer them for a brief minute as he continues to write. Some scholars believe that he was writing Jeremiah 17, 3, which fulfills a prophecy where Jeremiah, the prophet, says there will be a time where his people will, will forsake God spiritually, which what Jeremiah is saying is that there will be a spiritual adultery taking place. And the religious folks, watch this, become angry with him. The Bible said angry probably gritting their teeth and spitting angry, saying, answer us. Can it help us today when you preach and teach that it's only the saving grace of God, of a good, loving God, religious folks will get mad at you. Why? Because they think it can't be that easy. It's got to be more complicated than that. But I came with a reminder today that you have been saved by grace through faith, not of works that any man can boast. And if you have really encountered this grace, sin isn't fun anymore. Sleeping around isn't fun anymore. Come on, somebody. Let me meddle a little bit. Doing drugs and drinking and partying just isn't fun anymore when you've encountered this grace. Being full of rage and malice and, and pride and anger and bitterness. Come on, because we, we don't talk about those sins enough, do we? we are, we're ready to talk about sexual sin and adultery and drugs and alcohol and all these. You know, anger, rage, malice, pride, all of the... These are listed in, the, in, in Galatians, which we might get here next week. All of those things are listed as the people that won't inherit the kingdom of God either. Makes that grace sound a whole lot more important now, don't it? They're angry with him. And Jesus drops this one liner that changes the course of history. He says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Really, the passion translates it better because the Greek word, I'm going to attempt this here, anamartetos. Anamartetos. It really means sinful desires. See, that, that, that changes things. Y'all hear me out on that because... Because that changes things. Because Jesus always goes deeper. And Jesus' standard is always a little bit higher. That's why he makes this statement. No, no, it's not about if you committed adultery. If you look at a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery with, with her in your heart. So Jesus raises the bar a little bit, y'all. That's why this grace is so important. Because there's a lot of people out there that can self-control what they do on the outside. Come on, somebody. That was the Pharisees. That's some religious type folks. And they might not act out on the things but they are full of sinful desires and so what he says there is if you have not had a sinful desire if you haven't had a sinful thought run through your mind he raises the bar y'all if you haven't had a sinful thought run through your mind you pick up the stone and throw it Jesus is about the heart condition 
This also leaves little wiggle room for you needing the grace of God. We need grace. Touch your neighbor and say, we need grace. We need grace. We need grace. I'm almost done. When Jesus makes the statement, the accusers leave one by one, not everybody there that day left, but the Bible says that the accusers left one by one. Now we have the perfect scene that is set up for redemption. Why? Because Jesus is face to face with the woman. Why? Because she has become face to face with Jesus. That's why these altars and prayer closets on your own and getting in the presence of God and getting before Jesus face to face is so important because being with Jesus face to face, being at an altar with your with bowing on your knees and with your head buried in your lap, letting tears drop from your face is getting face to face with Jesus, shutting the door behind you at 5 a.m. in the morning or 6 a.m. in the morning before your kids get up or before you got a thing to do and getting face to face with Jesus is what will give you the grace to get through your day. Come on, somebody. It's the face to face with Jesus that brings about a moment that brings about redemption to the woman. And it's when you and Jesus. When you get face to face with Jesus, it's when you can hear the words guilty, but pardoned. Guilty, but pardoned. Let's not forget that today or you miss what I'm preaching today. She's guilty. She's caught in the act. She is messed up. You've been guilty before. I have been guilty before. We've been caught in the very act, especially if you are saved. You want to know why? Because every time that you sin or you get caught up and mixed up in a mistake, you still got the Holy Ghost inside of you. So he's witnessed it all. He has seen every mistake and every inch of yourself that's been guilty before. And Jesus can whisper in your ear, guilty, but pardon. That last word changes everything. Don't forget that we're guilty, but we have been pardoned. By the grace of God. See, when you have a revelation that you're guilty, but pardoned, that's what makes you want to live right. Because what he's been too good. It's his kindness and his goodness that leads to repentance. Jesus is now face to face with the woman. And he says, where are your accusers? You need to pay attention to her response because this is key. I'm almost done. Y'all still with me? Wave at me if you're with me real quick. I think I've said I'm almost done like three times. Maybe there'll be a fourth, but I'm almost done. She responds in Aramaic with the words, watch this, Marya. She responds in the Aramaic words of, of Mar Yah, meaning Lord Yahweh. She recognizes his divinity and being the son of God and responds and he responds to her. I do not condemn you. It is her response to his presence and him standing before her and her having a revelation and an understanding like Peter has had and said, no, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. What she does in this very moment, realizing of what he just said, the knowledge bomb that he just dropped, he's got to be somebody different. He's got to be the son of the living God. He is the Messiah and he is Marya. He is the Lord God. 
In other words, they can't condemn you and I choose not to. You are not guilty. You have been pardoned. Why? Because she answers Lord Yahweh. She has put her trust and put her faith that he is who he says he is. And the moment that you do that, you can go from being guilty to being pardoned in an instant. Let's deal with this last statement to her. Go and be free from a life of, life of sin. Great translation here. Go and sin no more can be confusing and almost like, uh, how am I supposed to do that? But, but the translator here says, go and be free from a lifestyle of sin. Because watch this, nobody is perfect like Jesus, and he knows that. So he says, he really says, go and be free from your lifestyle of sin. Be free from the lifestyle of sin, meaning your way of life constantly being contrary to the ways of God. Not that you don't ever sin or make a mistake, but that it's not a lifestyle to you. Oh, this is where I'm hanging my hat today, y'all. Because grace makes you understand I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Grace says I can't keep living how I'm living. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Grace gives you the ability to be free from the lifestyle. I'm about to blow your hair back and then I'm done. John 3, 4 through 10. Anyone who indulges in sin lives in moral anarchy. For the definition of sin is breaking God's law. And you know without a doubt that Jesus was revealed to eradicate sins. And there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in union with him will not sin. But the one who continues sinning hasn't seen him with discernment or known him by intimate experience delightfully love children. Come on, you're loved. Wave at me if you know that you're loved. Don't let anyone divert you from this truth. The person who keeps doing what is right proves that he is righteous before God, even as the Messiah is righteous. But the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil. What? He's saying you've either been born of God or you've been born of the devil. Very strong words. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, the reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who is truly God's child would refuse to keep sinning because God's seed remains in him and he is unable to continue sinning because he has been fathered by God himself. Here is how God's children can be clearly distinguished from the children of the evil one. Anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to fellow believers is not living with God as his source. Did y'all catch that? These are the toughest scriptures in all of the Bible while dealing with sin. And what you're thinking is, well, what happened to grace? <laughs> Anybody thinking that? Can I tell you, my friends, this thing is coded in grace. It's coded in grace. And let me tell you why. Number one, because it's the same grace that saves you, that keeps you. It's the same grace that saves you, that keeps you. He mentions the seed of God hitting your heart. And when he does, he's talking about the born again experience. At the born again experience, you had an encounter with grace. And it's that same grace that helps you realize and be empowered to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He destroyed the works of the devil. So if Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, you've been born again. His Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. That means you were created and destined to destroy the works of the devil yourself. 
after displaying great grace to the woman, he says, go and be free of your lifestyle of sin. Public service announcement, Jesus wouldn't tell her to do that if she couldn't do that. Jesus would not tell her to go and be free from her lifestyle of sin if he didn't give her the grace and the power and the ability to be able to do it. The problem with most of us is that we just don't understand that. We think, I, I, I'm not strong enough to do it. I, I, I'm not capable of breaking this addiction. I'm not capable of breaking off this relationship. I'm not capable of doing this. I'm not capable of doing that. But can I tell you, my friend, the same grace that saved you on the day that you gave your life to him is the same grace that can help cut you off from everything that's trying to keep you from your destiny and keep you from your purpose in God. I'm closing. Can I get a little keys, please? Jesus stands up after the encounter. And the woman has been redeemed. The pardon has been given. And he makes this statement. I'm closing with this. He makes this statement and he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will experience this life giving light. And those who experience this life-giving light will not walk in darkness. Can I explain to you what darkness is? Darkness is not when you flip the lights off at your house and now you're scared and the demons and the boogeyman's coming out and there's things under your bed and in your closet and whatever. Darkness is not when the sun goes down and now all the demons come out to wreak havoc on the earth. Although my father always told me nothing good happens after midnight. Go to bed. Be at the club at two in the morning. You was worshiping. You didn't know it, but you was worshiping. Darkness isn't that. Watch this. Darkness is ignorance. Darkness is not knowing any better. The Bible teaches that Satan works in the darkness. Satan works in the darkness because he can have a field day with what you don't know. But when you know it, the light comes in. Watch this. We have that saying, right? The lights just came on. There's a revelation that has been given to you that I can't go on like this anymore. And when the lights come on and you're walking with the light and he is the word and the word says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. And when you understand, when you're rolling with Jesus, you're rolling with the light. So if you stay in this word, you'll never you'll never walk around in darkness, because if you read the word, you internalize the word, you hide it in your heart. Guess what the Bible says? I have hidden your word within my heart that I might not sin against you. You can't stop sinning if you ain't got the word in you if you ain't got Jesus in you if you don't have the Holy Spirit you'll, 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 just, you'll just stumble around in darkness all the days of your life but the light has come the revelation of grace is here today it's the grace of God that saves you thank you for listening to the Recovery to Recover podcast if you like what you heard today visit BeTheBushMinistries.com or MiriamHouse.com to become a monthly partner 
or for more info about our ministry and what we are accomplishing for the kingdom of God. You can also follow me on Facebook at Caleb McCall or on Instagram at Pastor Caleb Mack. See you next week.